Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes graphic descriptions of torture, as well as dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Tipperary was just like any other rural county in 19th century Ireland. Stone houses freckled the sloping green hills. The center of the town consisted of little more than a few shops and the solemn presence of a Catholic church. And like the rest of Ireland, the people of Tipperary found themselves stuck between two different ways of life. In 1895, Ireland was moving towards standardization and modernity, Trains came and went on timetables. Policemen and priests wore uniforms. Because Ireland was made part of the United Kingdom decades earlier, more and more people stopped speaking Irish and began speaking English. All of this went against the strong folk practices of Ireland. This lifestyle valued an oral tradition of storytelling, in which the unexplained mysteries of life were given context through myth. And this is where the fairies came in. For Irish people living in large urban areas, fairy belief was a bizarre, amusing, and backward superstition. But in Tipperary, fairy belief was common. Fairies were said to hold immense power. They could cause all kinds of problems, and they were often used to explain sudden illness and death. Believers also feared that the fairies could take a loved one away and replace them with a doppelganger. They called these fairy imposters changelings, and if one appeared, the changeling had to be expelled by any means necessary. In 1895, this belief loomed over the village of Tipperary like a massive wave, and soon an Irish woman named Bridget Cleary would be swept away in the tide. Welcome to Solved Murders, True Crime Mysteries, a Spotify original from ParCast. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Wednesday, we step into the world of true crime's most fascinating murder cases and tell the tale of how real-life detectives close the case. You can find episodes of Solved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free exclusively on Spotify. This is our first episode on the murder of Bridget Cleary. This week, we'll cover the events that led to her death. Next week, we'll cover how Ireland grappled with this case and its relationship to Irish folk traditions. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. (laughs) 
Tipperary County was made up of a bunch of small towns, separated by large tracts of green farmland. In these towns, everyone knew each other. No secret was too small to spread through the surrounding area. Bridget Cleary and her husband Michael lived and worked in Ballyvadley, a tiny village. And in such a small populace, the Clearys were unique. They were both literate, a rare quality in their rural social circle, and both held well-paying jobs. This earned them a stable place in society. Bridget Cleary was a dressmaker, which in 1895 was a much-desired profession for a young woman. She was outspoken and independent in all parts of her life, particularly in her fashion. Unlike most women in the Irish countryside of the time, Bridget Cleary rejected the standard shawl or scarf in favor of a large straw hat decorated with feathers. Her flamboyant style paired with her profession made Bridget Cleary a persistent subject of town gossip. And unfortunately, this chatter was not always kind. I tell you, that woman rubs me the wrong way. She flounces around in her frilly clothes. She spends so much time away from home. And you know that she and her husband don't have any children. How queer. Married seven years and no babies. Clearly something's wrong with her. She only cares about how she looks. I tell you, if I were her husband, I'd be ashamed. Mm, I'll pray for her. Bridget Cleary lived in a highly patriarchal society, one which often scorned women for exhibiting too much independence from their husbands. Childbearing was an extremely important component of family life in Tipperary. And if a couple didn't have children, it was often seen as the woman's fault. But Bridget Cleary was undeterred by the gossip that surrounded her, and her husband Michael also seemed to take it in stride. Michael was a tradesman and well-respected in his field. He was handsome, with a strong beard and piercing eyes. His wife's brazen attitude was certainly unusual, but Michael Cleary likely treated it as a small issue in an otherwise idyllic life. From the outside, it seemed that in the spring of 1895, the pair had established a comfortable routine for themselves. But soon, that picture-perfect life would begin to chip away. March 4, 1895 was a sunny day, but extremely cold. It had been one of the coldest winters on record in Ireland, and in early March, it was only barely starting to warm up. Bridget Cleary was out that day, delivering eggs to her neighbors. Most people in Tipperary walked as their main source of transportation, and Bridget Cleary's boots quickly grew wet and cold from the snow. By the time she got home, she was chilled to the bone. Bridget sat by the fire for hours, but she couldn't stop shivering. And the next day, she felt worse. Bridgie, I still can't believe you went out in this weather. No wonder you feel ill. Darling, please don't shout. My head feels like it's going to split open. Well, you stay in bed. I'm sure you'll be fine with some rest. Where were you off to today, anyway? I went to Kailanagrana. What? What do you mean, what? Um, never mind. Just rest. Bridget Cleary was feverish with chills and a raging headache. March 5th passed with no improvement. 
Michael Cleary watched on, growing more worried, but while he was concerned about his wife's condition, there was something else on his mind. Bridget had walked to the village of Kailanagrana to deliver her eggs on March 4th. This wasn't especially strange. Several of Bridget's family members lived in that village, but Kailanagrana was also known for another reason. There was a ring fort there. Ring forts were a common sight in Ireland in the 19th century. In basic terms, a ring fort was a kind of ruin, usually the remains of medieval dwellings long since abandoned. A strong circular wall made of stone slowly eroded to little more than a grass-covered ridge, cutting a crude shape out of the green landscape. And in Irish folk tales, ring forts were where the fairies lived. Michael Cleary didn't consider himself the most superstitious person, but even he knew to be wary of ring forts. Passing near a fairy dwelling could bring all kinds of bad luck to the person who dared cross the threshold. Fairies were tricksters, and they could easily make someone sick, or worse. As one of the stories goes, someone kidnapped by the fairies would be replaced with a fairy who looked exactly like that person, but was actually in disguise, a changeling. The changeling would give itself away in its behavior. It would appear sick or cranky, be unable to speak or move normally, or seem otherwise off from the person that they were imitating. As Michael Cleary watched his wife lie sick in bed, he could feel the slow simmer of suspicion grow within him. And as the days passed with no improvement in Bridget's health, Michael grew more paranoid. On March 9th, he finally decided more help was needed. Bridget's father, who lived with the couple, set off to call on the local doctor to come and examine her. But in rural Ireland, a doctor's visit was not easily secured and could take days of waiting. And as time passed without the doctor's appearance at the house, the townspeople began speculating about Bridget Cleary's illness. I'll tell you what, Bridget always seemed like a strange one to me. And now she falls ill after walking through Kyla Nagrana? <laughs> well... I had my suspicions about her before. She was just so strange. I could have sworn she was a fairy herself. But getting sick so quickly, there's no doubt in my mind. She's been taken by the fairies. <laughs> Serves her right. <laughs> Maybe they'll keep her. Michael Cleary was no stranger to rumors about his wife, but this gossip was something entirely different. To imply that his wife had been taken by fairies, or was herself a fairy, jeopardized both her social standing and his. Time was not on Michael Cleary's side. All he could do was wait for the doctor. And by this point, Bridget Cleary hardly looked like the fashionable brazen woman she was known for being. Her face was pale and damp, her eyes ringed with lack of sleep. Michael grew even more nervous as he waited for the doctor, and after some time, he began to doubt that the doctor would ever arrive at all. Yet on the morning of March 13th, Dr. Crane knocked on the Cleary's door. Michael took him in, but he watched the doctor with suspicion. Hmm. Bridget, could you open your mouth for me? Thank you. She looks different to me. She's not herself. It just seems wrong. 
Yes, well, that can happen when a person becomes seriously ill. But I don't think you have much to worry about here. What? Look at her. Something isn't right with her, Doctor. Just a nasty case of bronchitis, I'm afraid. And a touch of nerves. Here, have her take three teaspoons of this tincture every night before bed for a fortnight. That should help. And you get some rest too, young man. You're not looking too perky yourself. As if you knew the truth. Sorry? N nothing. The doctor left the Cleary's home content with a job well done. But Michael was unconvinced by the doctor's diagnosis. That same day, Michael called upon one of his family members for a second opinion on Bridget's condition. That relative was Jack Dunn, Bridget's first cousin once removed. He was also a Shanachie, an Irish word for storyteller. To put it another way, Jack Dunn was an expert on fairies. His expertise would only result in tragedy. Michael and Jack jumped to some dangerous conclusions after this. The internet. What would we do without it? So much information, so little time. And yet, with all the answers available online, there still lie scores of deep, dark, spooky secrets. Mysteries yet to be solved until now. This isn't clickbait. This is our exclusive new podcast, Internet Urban Legends. I'm Loie, your evidence expert. And I'm Eleanor, the self-proclaimed skeptic. Together, we're the gruesome twosome, sleuths in search of the weirdest stories on the web. Every Tuesday, we investigate the internet's creepiest conundrums, covering each conspiracy theory and combing through every clue to separate hoax from haunt. Whether it's the video sure to make you lose your appetite, blank room soup, or every kid's worst nightmare, the terrifying truth behind Disney's deaths, or every parent's worst nightmare, social media's Momo challenge. Each episode of Internet Urban Legends is chock full of disturbing details which are either truly demented or ripe for debunking. And no matter our conclusion, we're sure to be left scared half to death. So won't you join us? Follow our new Spotify original from Parcast, Internet Urban Legends. Listen free and exclusively on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. On March 13th, a doctor examined Bridget Cleary and diagnosed her with bronchitis. He prescribed a tincture to help her heal, but her husband, Michael Cleary, doubted the doctor's diagnosis. He suspected something more sinister and more magical had affected his wife. He summoned his relative and the local Shanachie, Jack Dunn, to give his opinion on Bridget's condition. As he entered the Cleary house, Jack Dunn strode to the bedroom. There, Bridget Cleary lay in a feverish daze. Michael stood nervously in the doorway as Jack observed her. Hmm. hmm. She fell ill quite suddenly, yes? Yes. After she came home from Kailanagrana, 
She's been sick for almost a week now. Uh, who, who, who's there? Shh. Go back to sleep, Bridget. Michael, join me out in the hall. I need you to listen to me very carefully. This is a dire situation you cannot delay. Every second you waste could be the end of you. What? What is it? The doctor finally came this morning. What else? The doctor is useless to you now. You can't trust his judgment with this, with her. But that thing in your bedroom is not your wife. While it's unclear exactly what Jack Dunn said to Michael Cleary that day, most accounts name Jack as the person responsible for confirming Michael's suspicions. In any case, by this point in time, Michael Cleary firmly believed that his wife had been taken by the fairies and replaced with a changeling, a fairy in disguise, and something had to be done about it. Bridget Cleary could tell that something strange was happening with her husband. He wasn't sleeping, he was hardly eating, and he watched over her with increasing agitation. Even through her feverish days, she could see that he was behaving differently and looking at her with resentment. That evening, she confronted him about the events of that day's visit. Michael, (laughs) wasn't there a doctor here today? Yes, but you don't need to worry about that. Well, did he give me anything to help with my illness? I thought I heard him telling you something about a tincture. That tincture isn't going to help you, Bridgie. If that's even who you really are. Michael, what are you talking about? I know what you really are. You can't fool me, changeling. Michael, I am your wife! You can't trick me, fairy. We'll soon see your true self. Mark my words. We don't know exactly what transpired between the couple that night, but Bridget Cleary was no stranger to fairy legend. If her husband accused her of being a changeling, that carried a real threat. But Bridget was still bedridden, too weak to leave the room. She was trapped. She could only hope that at some point... Her husband would believe her. But dark news would only make her husband's outlook even darker. The following day, March 14th, Michael Cleary received word that his father had died. There would be a wake taking place the next day in the village of Killinall, about an eight-mile walk away. In Irish folk tradition, wakes were massive social affairs— Everyone from the family was expected to attend, including any neighbors who had known the deceased. An Irish wake could last all day and night, with visitors telling stories and playing games together. The news likely came as a shock to Michael Cleary, and perhaps on a normal day he would have attended the wake, but he already had his mind made up about his wife's situation. Instead of traveling to the wake, Michael paid a visit to a very different kind of doctor. Dennis Ganey was known in Tipperary as a first-rate fairy doctor. Like Jack Dunn, Dennis held an immense amount of folk knowledge of fairies and their behavior. But the two men differed in one important way. Dennis Ganey said he knew how to get rid of a fairy for good. 
Dennis told Michael all about how to expel a changeling from his home, and the fairy doctor explained a number of things that needed to be done in order to ensure that the real Bridget Cleary could return home safely. You need to give the changeling this mix of herbs. Mix it in new milk and make her drink it. Three doses. Now, uh, this won't be easy. The changeling will fight you. I'll ask a few others to help. They'll understand. Good, good. Now, there are a few more things that could help you. A changeling is extremely averse to fire and to, well, human waste. Urine, especially. Dousing the changeling in urine or threatening it with fire are sure ways to banish it. I'll do whatever it takes. Michael heeded Dennis's word and went about town asking his family members for help. Most of them were already planning to go to his father's wake, but Michael's desperation and conviction convinced them to help him before they left. The Irish countryside was pitch black that night, and shortly after 9 p.m., a small group of men descended upon the Cleary house. Michael had called several of his wife's relatives to help in the night's proceedings. The seriousness of Bridget's illness had become a family affair, and this night brought together an unexpected family reunion. By the time the group had assembled, eight guests stood in the living room of the stone house. There were four of Bridget's cousins, Patrick, Michael, William, and James Kennedy, her aunt Mary Kennedy, and Bridget's father, Patrick Boland. The fairy expert, Jack Dunn, also attended, along with a local teenage boy, William Ahern. Four more people would eventually join the group. The Cleary's neighbors, William and Minnie Simpson, along with another cousin of Bridget's named Johanna Burke, who was bringing her young daughter and the new milk for the herbal potion. Once everyone was gathered, the group watched as Michael Cleary stooped over the fire, simmering a pot of herbs and milk. He swirled the mixture with a wooden spoon, then stood up, the pot still in his hand. Silently, he nodded to the group, and some of the men filed into the bedroom. What? What, what are all these people doing here? Patrick, James, hold down her arms. What? What are you doing? Jack, I need you to take hold of her ears and hold her head down so she can't turn away. Someone also needs to keep her legs down. Changeling, we will expel you tonight in the name of God! Bridget Cleary screamed and struggled, but she couldn't move. Michael Cleary pried open his wife's mouth, shoving the wooden spoon into it. Bridget gagged and tried to spit the mixture out. With crazed urgency, Michael Cleary yelled for someone to bring a hot iron poker from the fireplace into the room. Jack Dunn rushed out, returning with the instrument, its edge glowing red. Jack Dunn held the poker over Bridget's forehead as Michael Cleary thrust the spoon into Bridget's mouth one more time. He clamped his palm over her mouth, barring her from spitting out the liquid. Bridget's head twitched and jerked away from her husband. Jack Dunn thrust the red-hot poker forward, scalding Bridget's forehead. As she cried in pain, Michael Cleary forced another dose of the mixture down her throat. 
By this point, other members of the group had entered the room and were watching with a mix of terror and urgency as Michael Cleary attempted to expel the changeling. There was one dose left, and Bridget Cleary was still fighting back. Mary! Mary, give me that pitcher! We need to douse the creature with urine! Quick! Uh, uh, uh. Michael, please, don't you think she's had enough? This is not my wife! Now, Jack, help me hold her head. She will take this medicine, so help me! Michael forced the final dose into Bridget Cleary's mouth, clamping his hand against her once more to make sure she swallowed it. Panting and sweating profusely, Michael Cleary bent over the singed forehead of his wife. Michael believed that he would have to expel the changeling by midnight, otherwise his wife would be lost forever in the land of the fairies. It was nearing midnight, and Michael Cleary was desperate. Are you Bridget Cleary, by God? Answer me! Yes. Yes, I am. In the name of God, you shall not lie to me, creature! Are you Bridget Cleary, by the name of God? Yes! Yes! Please, I am Bridget Cleary. We will test you one final time, spirit. Men, help me pick her up, quick! The men carried the limp, damp body of Bridget Cleary into the kitchen, holding her mere centimeters over the hot coals of the fire. Once again, Michael asked his wife if she was indeed Bridget Cleary and stared down at her with bloodshot eyes. Through tears... She responded that, yes, she was Bridget Cleary. And in that moment, the clock struck midnight. Michael gestured for the men to set his wife down on the ground. And as he looked around at the exhausted group, he felt an overwhelming sense of relief. He had done it. Michael Cleary had expelled the changeling before time ran out. The tone of the night immediately changed. The group rejoiced, and Bridget was helped back to bed where she could rest. As the men talked in the other room, the women took care of Bridget Cleary. They cleaned her and dressed her in dry clothing. The deed had been done, and in the minds of this group, the night had been a success. In the darkened bedroom, Bridget Cleary lay motionless. The burn on her forehead throbbed, and she could still feel the lingering pressure on her wrists from where she had been held down. Her one comfort was that the torture was all over. Hopefully, this would be the end of it. But unfortunately, it was only the beginning. Coming up, Bridget's nightmare concludes with deadly violence. Stay with us. Now, back to the story. On March 15, 1895, the morning broke to a quiet and idyllic Irish landscape. March was still wintry in Tipperary, and the fields were dusted with a light frost. As the house was slowly brought to life with the sound of footsteps, Bridget Cleary could only hear the bustle of activity from her bed. The horrific violence of the night showed on her body. She was bruised and scarred a small pink burn blistering on her forehead. She could hardly sleep. 
but as her relatives came in to check on her, Bridget greeted them calmly. She was sick, she was hurt, and she was at the mercy of a ravenous paranoia. The best she could do was prove to her family and friends that she was herself. For the rest of the people at the Cleary's house, the events of the night were nearly forgotten. The man asked Michael to come with them to his father's wake, but Michael seemed to have other plans. Mike, come along. I'm sure Bridget would be fine on her own. I'm not going with you. What? This is your father we're talking about. The treatment worked on Bridget. Why not just let her rest and come pay your respects? There are still spirits in this house, Patrick. We still need a priest to say mass. That is sure to drive away those damned creatures for good. Michael, be reasonable. I will not rest until I have these fairies out of my house and out of my life. Now please leave us be. After the men began their walk to Killinall around 1 a.m., Michael Cleary stayed up a few more hours. At dawn, he got straight to work. He donned his coat, hat, and scarf, then trudged through the sunny March morning into town. The relationship between Irish folk tradition and Catholicism was complicated. In Tipperary, it wasn't unusual to overlap Catholic traditions with local superstitions. Catholic priests were sought out as important peace-bringers in all elements of life. They were the ones who could help banish all kinds of evil spirits and energies, including the lingering presence of fairies. The town priest was a man named Father Con Ryan. He knew the Clearies well and had been aware of Bridget's prolonged illness. He even visited Bridget on March 13th to give her her last rites. But when Michael appeared at his doorstep asking for an at-home mass, the priest was alarmed. The man standing on the threshold was hardly recognizable as Michael Cleary. His beard was unkempt, and he had massive, dark circles under his eyes from many sleepless nights. With wide, bloodshot eyes, Michael explained to the priest that there were fairies in his house, that his wife needed help, and that the priest must come as soon as possible. In the dim gray light of the mid-morning on March 15th, Father Con Ryan said mass in the Cleary's cottage. By this time, Bridget had regained her faculties and was watching the scene with a newfound anxiety that was hard to restrain. The priest gave Bridget communion, blessed her, and then stepped out of the bedroom. Michael Cleary had been anxiously watching him during the Mass and impatiently followed Con Ryan out into the hall. Well, did you feel the presence of anything spiritual in the room, the house? I fear that we have not yet rid ourselves of the fairies. You should be fine now, my son. But Michael, your wife looked profoundly frantic. I saw her only a few days ago and the change in her personage is alarming. Have you had a doctor here to see her? Dr. Crean came by and gave me a bottle of some tincture. A world of good that did me, Father. I don't trust that medicine for the world. Son, you should give your wife that medicine. It'll do her good. If it's all the same to you, Father, we people have a remedy of our own for this sort of thing. And it does more good than that doctor's medicine. The priest was concerned by this last statement, but there wasn't much he could do. He was not a man to meddle in the personal affairs of a man and his wife. 
Con Ryan reminded Michael to allow Bridget to rest and left. Father Con Ryan didn't hear anything else from Michael for the rest of the night. And by the morning of March 16th, he had almost forgotten the alarming visit he had paid to that slate-roofed house in the countryside. The morning was misty and bright, and the village center was bustling with activity. Horse-drawn carts carrying the morning's produce slowly ambled down the road. Townspeople chatted amiably, enjoying the crisp March air. But the calm air of that morning suddenly changed when the townspeople noticed a bizarre sight. Jack Dunn, the ferry expert, was walking down the street with Michael Cleary. And something was very, very wrong. Michael Cleary was wearing a gray tweed suit that looked like it had been run through the dirt. Massive streaks of grease and dust marked his coat and trousers, and his clothes hung strangely on his body as if they didn't fit him. He was weeping. Occasionally, a townsperson would call out to ask Michael if he was all right, but the man offered no answer. His face was an unmoving mask of terror, and as he moved through the street, people parted to let him through. Michael and Jack Dunn walked toward the church. It was an imposing building, surrounded by moss-covered graves and protected with a tall iron fence. As the two men wove their way through the headstones, Michael began sobbing more loudly, his cries cutting through the quiet morning air. The two men entered the church, where other parishioners sat waiting to go to confession. Michael approached the altar. He knelt, still sobbing, and began murmuring to himself. His garbled speech grew louder and louder, and soon Michael Cleary was shouting through fits of sobs. Alarmed by the sudden commotion, Father Con Ryan rushed into the room. Michael had begun tearing his hair out, shouting and crying. Good God! What has happened to you, man? Mr. Dunn, what is the meaning of this? I practically had to drag him out here, Father. He needs to speak with you. There's been a terrible tragedy. She's gone. She's gone. I I can't... I can't believe this. All right, all right. Let's talk about this. Come, join me outside. I have to confess for what I have done. Please, I have to... I'm not sure you're in the right mind for that, dear boy. Jack, come and help me get this man outside. He could use the air. Jack Dunn gingerly lifted Michael into a standing position, and the men made their way back into the churchyard. There, among the graves, Michael Cleary stood before the priest, nearly hyperventilating. His face was red and swollen from crying, but he couldn't stop. Tears rolled down his cheeks, and he could hardly utter a string of words before he was overcome again, sobbing and babbling. Michael Cleary wouldn't be able to explain to the priest what was going on, so Con Ryan turned to Jack Dunn and asked him to elaborate on this alarming development. Father, he's in a bad way. What has he told you, my son? All morning, he's been talking about how his wife was taken by the fairies. He keeps trying to convince me to go out to Kalinagranau with him to look for her. What? I saw the poor girl only yesterday. 
Mike kept saying that the woman in his house wasn't his wife and that he'd destroyed the thing that had taken Bridget's place. Destroyed? What do you mean destroyed? He said... Well, he said he burned her up. The priest was stricken with horror. Quietly, he asked Jack Dunn where the body was, but Jack didn't know. As far as he could tell, Michael Cleary had enlisted three or four men to help him dispose of Bridget Cleary or whatever was left of her. Con Ryan looked past Jack Dunn to Michael Cleary, who was sobbing and looking wildly around the churchyard. The priest re-examined the man's suit and the grayish dust that was smeared across the jacket and pants. With newfound terror, he realized that the stains weren't dust at all. They were ash. Thanks again for tuning in to Solved Murders. We'll be back next Wednesday with part two, the murder of Bridget Cleary. For more information on Bridget Cleary, amongst the many sources we used, we found The Burning of Bridget Cleary by Angela Burke extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Solved Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Solve Murders, True Crime Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Solve Murders was written by Georgia Hampton, with writing assistance by Giles Hofseth. Fact-checking by Claire Cronin, and research by Mickey Taylor. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tom Bauer, Tiana Camacho, Joe Hernandez, Drew Lawn, and Jen Wong. Solve Murders stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. 